1: Let's go right to Luke chapter 15 and get right into it over here. Jesus goes now and teaches us what real biblical discipleship is all about. It's being pupils. It's being students, listening, watching, following their teachers' words, following their examples, and then seeing the fruit brought forth inside of their life. But in chapter 15, he tells us now the responsibility now of what real disciples are. It's amazing. He goes into three parables over here in the gospel of Luke back to back. He speaks about the lost sheep, he speaks about the lost coin, and he speaks about the lost son. Amazingly, Matthew's gospel doesn't bring out about the lost coin and the last son. It brings out about the lost sheep. But he also shares in Matthew's gospel when he shared about the principle and the parable of the lost sheep that the reason that they got lost, the reason that they got disconnected was because of offenses because he goes right in and breaks that down. But over here in this one, What does loss mean over here? Well, loss means a person that has lost their way. A person that has destroyed their life. A person that has basically came to a place of just giving up, forfeiting their possessions. They could have lost their home. They could have lost their family. They could have lost their kids. They could have lost their livelihood. Uh, It speaks about straying away from Uh, uh, being ignorant of one's way or direction. It actually means even going astray or going from the right path into error, into confusion. And then the result of that is undesirable action or thought. The dictionary also tells it, it speaks of a person lost means defeated. A person that has setbacks, okay? Uh, I don't know about you, but in life, we've had setback, come on, after setback, after setback. But what we've learned is we take the setbacks and use them as a stepping stone for the setups that God has. So we've learned how to function in that there. But it speaks about one that their life has stopped because of setbacks. They've been defeated. They've been deprived or overcome. They're in a decayed condition, and they're reduced to useless fragments. In other words, the area of their soul is in fragmentation. It also speaks about one that has come to the place of complete loss of health, means, position, hope. They're devastated, overwhelmed. Now, let me just ask a question. Anybody know anybody like that? Come on, raise your hand right now for just a moment. Okay. How many know lost people, they matter to God? How they got there, I always don't know the way. But I do know this with a certainty that lost people matter to God. And here's what I want to share. Now we're going to cover this morning the lost son. Everybody say lost son. And so how would you like your children to come to you? How would you like Pastor RJ to come to me or or, or my daughter Melissa to come to me and say, Hey, Dad, we want your inheritance now. We want our inheritance Okay, and I'm still living. I mean, maybe you don't know what that means to uh, in the culture that this was written out there, but it's basically saying, I really don't give a flip that you're alive. I, I-, I kind of wish you were dead, but I want my inheritance and I want it now. Well, that's the picture over here of the lost son that Kathy is going to teach today. I really felt that when we were ministering this this morning, Spirit of God was all over here flowing. Come on. Not saying that he wasn't over me, but I'm going to in honor prefer her, so she's going to pick up right there.
0: Okay, God's just been really putting on my heart this last while on on the prodigal. And the reason is I've just heard story after story after story from people that are just in desperation for a prodigal child or a prodigal husband or wife. uh, Someone they love dearly that is way out there and just living in a way that is... uh, possibly life-threatening to them, and uh, not only have I heard some like that, but I've also heard some t- stories uh, of people that have actually lost loved ones to suicide or death because of the lifestyles they were living, and, and it's heart-wrenching, it's heartbreaking when we, you know, we all have people that we love and we care about, especially our children or, you know, a spouse or it could even be a parent or a sister or brother or a friend. But whatever, it doesn't matter if it's somebody that you love and you care about. How many know when they're out there and they're not living right and they're living in a way that could kill them, it tears you apart in the natural on the inside. And so I want to talk about that today because I believe probably most of you in this room have somebody you care about like that. And uh, and it's not easy. It's something, and if you don't have somebody personally, you know somebody. and And they're, you know and you're trying to support and encourage them. But I want to talk about the prodigal. Prodigal, first of all, is someone who wastes everything. They waste everything, and they live recklessly. So they don't care about what they do. They don't care about, you know, who they're affecting or how they're hurting people or, you know, what the consequences are. They just live a reckless life. And we read this morning the parable of two sons, and I'm going to go back there and I'm going to break it down a little bit because this is so important because if you have somebody like that in your life that you know once was serving God and now they're not serving God or maybe they never did serve God yet but you've been believing and trusting God that they would and, uh, and so this is so crucial because there is a real devil and he is out to steal, kill and destroy. But I want to tell you the symptoms of a lost son and, or a prodigal son. And I'm going to read, first of all, from Luke 15, 11, and we're going to read through, and I'm going to break this down a bit, but it says, uh, the parable of the lost son, to illustrate the point further, Jesus told them this story, a man had two sons. Now, really, those two sons represent the two ways you can live. All of us, were children, we were, we are children of God. And the Bible says we've all fallen astray. And, you know, obviously, if you've committed your life to the Lord and you're living for God, then you're back with God and you're living right and you're doing, you know, what pleases the Father, that's a good thing. But that's that's one choice. Then there's the other choice of those that don't, right? So there's only two categories of people. Those that are loving and living for the Father and those that are not. And so regardless of what their life is like, there's still, still a waste according to the kingdom of God if they're not Uh, serving God. But anyway, the man had two sons. The younger son told his father, I want my share of your estate now before you die. So his father agreed to divide his wealth between his sons. One of the symptoms of a prodigal is they want everything now. They want it their way now. And it's called entitlement. And we live in a generation, really, where there's a lot of entitled people because we've been blessed in this nation. We have been very blessed. We haven't had to struggle for a lot of things. Now, some people have. I'm not uh, negating that. But, you know, so many times our kids are given everything. They're given, I remember having a baby shower here one time, well, many times. But sometimes they almost have to add a room on to their home to accommodate all the stuff for the, for the kids you know, in this generation because there's just so many gadgets out there for their kids and everybody's got to have everything. And then as parents, you want to give your kids everything. And kids just get inundated with stuff, right? They're given whatever they want. And, uh, but anyway, that's the first symptom is entitlement, where, where the lost son is demanding, I want what I want now. And then it says, a few days later, this younger son packed all his belongings and moved to a distant land, and there he wasted all his money in wild living. So another symptom of the prodigal is that they move away from the father, away from authority, away from accountability, away from responsibility, and they choose to live whatever way they want. And they are wasteful in how they do that. So they begin to just kind of, you know... lose everything. So they move away, do what they want and about this time his money ran out and a great famine swept over the land and he began to starve. So now, because when you choose to live that way, eventually consequences begin to show up. So now there's a price to pay. Now it's not so fun anymore. Now, you know, you're going you're gonna to have things happen and transpire in your life where you're going to realize, you know, this isn't, this isn't what I thought it was. Right? And so then it says, he persuaded a local farmer to hire him, and the man sent him into fields to feed the pigs. The young man became so hungry that even the pods he was feeding the pigs looked good to him. But no one gave him anything. Another symptom of a person that's living a prodigal life is they get abandoned by all that know them because of the reckless living, because of the wastefulness in their lives that people start to withdraw from them. And they're left alone. And you know what? They need to, well, we'll read it in a minute, but they need to reach the bottom sometimes. And sometimes it takes that for people to lose everything, to be desperate before they finally recognize what they once had. And then it says, so they usually feel alone. But then when he finally came to his senses. So finally, but what did it take to get him to come to his senses? Sometimes reaching the bottom. And I want to say this. um, I didn't say this in the first service, but it's coming to me right now. Sometimes we enable prodigals so they don't reach the bottom. And we continue to enable their behavior And then they never get right. And we enable them because we're afraid. I'm just going to throw that out. I'll get into that a little more later. So when he finally came to a census, he said to himself, at home, even the hired servants were food enough to spare, and here I am dying of hunger. I will go home to my father and say, Father, I have sinned against both heaven and you. Now, there's a key there, too. He's not going to go home and just say, Hey, I've sinned against you, Father. He says, no, I've sinned against God and you. So there's true acknowledgement and repentance that's beginning to transpire when they reach their senses. Now, some people, they reach bottom, but they don't say that. They say, I'll go here because then I won't have to pay the consequence. And they don't really want to change. Right? And you have to know the difference. Now... Because he could have gone home and said, you know, here I am. I lost everything, but will you just take me in? Right? But he didn't do that. Father, I have sinned against both heaven and you, and I am no longer worthy of being called your son. Please take me as a hired servant. That's fruit of true repentance, because he wasn't even asking to be his son. He's saying, I'll just do whatever you want. That shows that the entitlement thinking was dealt with. It was broken and it was gone. So he returned home to his father. And while he was still a long way off, the father saw him coming. Now, the father saw him coming when he was a long way off. That meant the father was always looking, always watching, always waiting for him to come back. Filled with love and compassion, he ran to his son, embraced him and kissed him. And the son said to him father i have sinned against both heaven and you and i am no longer worthy of being called your son so again even though the father ran to him and just showered him with love and affection he still didn't say oh okay well this is going to be easy right he didn't he still stayed humble he still you know said what he needed to say But his father said to the servants, quick, bring the finest robe in the house and put it on him and get a ring for his fingers and sandals for his feet and kill the calf we've been fattening. We must celebrate with a feast for this son of mine was dead and now he's turned to life. He was lost, but now he is found. So the party begins. So that's exciting. And I want to say this. What we have to know is the heavenly father loves those prodigals even more than you do. He cares about their destiny. He cares about what they're going through. And you know what? He knows a lot more about how to get them back than you do. And so often we get in the way because of fear. We're afraid to trust God. We want to enable them. We try to manipulate them. We try to do all kinds of things to get them rather than truly giving it to God. It's getting quiet in here. Because we allow fear to control us rather than God. And God, you know, he loves them, and he will deal with them, and he knows how to deal with them. In fact, I found this scripture that I loved in um, 2 Samuel 14, verse 14. And it says this, All of us must die eventually. Our lives are like water spilled out of the ground, which cannot be gathered up again. In other words, whatever we do in our life, whatever choices we've made, we can't change those choices. We can't get back... uh, what we wasted, the time and, and all of that. Now, God will restore. God will bless when we get right with him. But how many know you can't get back what you did? If you hurt people or if you, you know, did certain things, it's still always there in your history. However, God forgives and he forgets. But you know what? We, we wasted time. But God does not just sweep life away. I love this. God does not just sweep life away. He doesn't go, oh, too bad. But God, or instead, he devises. I love this word, devises. What does devise mean? He comes up with a plan, right? That's what it means. He devises. He figures it out. God does not just sweep life away. Instead, he devises ways to bring us back when we have been separated from him. So do you know the prodigal in your life, God is devising a way to bring them back. But it takes faith and it takes trusting and surrendering to him, your prodigal. Because we try to devise our own ways. And when we try to devise our own ways, we interfere. And we can even make it worse because we're trying to do it and we don't trust God But I want to talk about what can we do and what should we do to get our prodigals back. There's things we can do. But before I can tell you what we can do, I want to go into some of the reasons why people become prodigals in the first place. Because sometimes we may have had a part to play in that. First of all is offense. Probably the number one reason people leave the church is offense. Opening the door of your heart to be offended against believers or the church or a Christian that maybe did you harm, right? Because that can happen. I will say this. Some kids are offended at the church because of what their parents have said to them. In other words, some parents, if they get offended at the church, they talk to their kids about their offense and turn their kids off of the church. And the kids are only hearing one side of a story. I remember when I was um, raising my girls before I married Pastor Rick, when I was married before in Mississauga and we were pastoring. And when we first took over the church, I was very insecure in that. And um, I remember trying to please everybody which you can't do, I've discovered. And, uh, you know, everybody's got opinions. They're all different, and, and uh, everybody wants it their way. And so everybody wants to let you know what they think you should do. And, you know, you can't do what everybody wants. And you really have to hear from God and do what he wants, re- regardless of whether it's popular or not. But I, you know, I soon learned this. And, but in the beginning, I was really desperate to please everybody and trying to do a good job. And so I spent an excessive amount of time working. And my kids got neglected at times. Like, they, you know, I, I was spending too much time at the church. Sometimes we can spend too much time at the church and not spend any time with our kids. And then they resent the church. And that started happening with my children. And I had to go to them and ask forgiveness for that. See, we as parents, sometimes we need to humble ourselves and admit our mistakes to them. And that does wonders. For their heart. It really makes a difference. And so, you know, we have to look at that. If there's offense, did we cause that offense? Parents sometimes, so go to church and hear a message about love and forgiveness and get in the car and fight all the way home in front of their kids. That, that doesn't say a lot to kids about how church can help you, right? Criticize, criticizing the church in front of your kids. You know, you, if you need to criticize the church, do it privately, not in front of your children, because you're going to turn them away from the church. And they're going to just see what's wrong. Hypocrites, living a double life. You know, if you come to the church and you're worshiping God and hugging everybody, and, oh, I'm a great Christian, and you go home and you're hitting your wife or, you know, screaming all the time and, you know, living like the devil, how many know, what are the kids going to think about Church not taking church seriously you know a lot of parents you know they they take their kids get involved in sports Oh, it's not that important sports is more important than going to church I'm telling you sports is not going to help your kids when they get in a lot of trouble or when they're making major life you know decisions and so and I'm not against sports but don't put it before church. Don't put it before being involved in a Christian community because that's so important. They need that community because the community out there doesn't care about the val- They don't have the values we have. And they're going to be offering your kids lots of things, which brings me to one of the other things, predators. There are predators. There are multibillion dollars corporations that are planning strategically how to get your kids addicted to what will make them money. And they know how to advertise, they know how to target your kids, they know how to go after them. There are people that, that's all they do is they figure out ways, because they know if we can get kids at 11, 12, 13 years old, we have them. Whether it's uh, addiction, gambling addictions, drug addictions, sex addictions, and there's a lot of stuff out there. That means you as parents, when they're under your roof, you have a responsibility to watch and guard what they are watching and seeing. You need to be watching what they're doing online and on t- what, what they're watching on television, what they're listening to. That doesn't mean, you know, there's some things you can't, you can't totally go, come against everything because then that turns them off the other way. You know, it can't be all about no, 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 no. But there are sing- things that are definitely, clearly evil. And you need to guard that and protect them. Some parents are too busy and their kids are alone all the time and they, they don't know what their kids are doing. And the enemy knows how to reach them. We've talked to many kids that have gotten addicted to pornography because nobody was around when they were on the computer. And it only takes a click of a button to find it. Right? And so, you know, the enemy is real. Teaching the fear of the Lord by putting God first in your home. We have a responsibility i'm telling you if you don't do these things somebody else is going to get it so you need to be praying you need to be in the word you need to be living the life in front of them that doesn't mean you never make a mistake or that you don't but when you do humble yourself acknowledge it kids respect that kids are very forgiving praising god having gratitude you know, that entitlement is rampant in our generation. Don't spoil your kids. Don't give them everything they want when they want it. Make them earn some things. Show them, teach them responsibility. Teach them the value of earning, working for things. You know, my, one of my granddaughters, she wanted a cell phone because all the other kids, all the other girls, and she's in high school and she's never had a cell phone. And every other kid has one. And she really wanted one. You know how she got her cell phone? She had to do corn detasseling for five or six weeks and save all that money. And then she got her cell phone. (laughs) Sometimes we just hand kids everything. And we spoil them. Spoil means ruin of no use, of no good. It's quiet in here. Another thing, sometimes there's undiagnosed mental illness in some young people, and, uh, and that's why it's good. Like, there are so many things, and we need to, we need to know what the issues are. You know, some p- p- kids get labelled, and some of those labels are legitimate in that they do have something wrong, and that can come because of many reasons, and I'm not going to get into all of that, but, uh, you know, if you have a child with very strange behaviour, you need to find out what's wrong, and there's help. Obviously, ultimately healing, I mean, you need to pray and speak over those kids, but uh, you need to understand them. Your kids are all different. I remember uh, one of my daughters had, she was hyper all the time, you know, bouncing off, like she couldn't sit still. And so she, you know, when you have a child that can't sit still, they get into trouble more. And and some kids have trouble thinking through consequences and stuff. So, you know, she was in trouble a lot. But if you don't understand them, you can steer them in the right way. You can keep them busy. You can keep them preoccupied. You can work with them. But sometimes we just think, oh, there's something wrong. You know, we treat them like they're bad. And then they start and believe they're bad because they don't fit into the mold. And so we have to look at each child individually and find out, you know, what ma- you know their love language. That's another whole story I don't have time to get into. But know their love language because, you know, you could be loving them the way you want to be loved, but it's not meeting their love language. And then they feel unloved. And you need to love your kids, and they need to know that they're loved. And so all of these things are so important to understand. See, we, but we have, pro- so so we need to know Why? We need to know, why, why are they a prodigal? And what can I do? Is there something I need to do? In other words, do I need to ask forgiveness? I, I'm not going to, once they're of age, you cannot control them. And if you try to control them, you'll make it worse. You can't make them do what you want. You can't manipulate, put them on guilt trips, preach to them every time they look at you, you know, do all this stuff, because then they just back away. That doesn't work but you have to trust God, you have to let them go, you have to stop enabling them, but you have to stand on the promises of God and do spiritual warfare for them. And you have to cast all your care on him, knowing that he cares for them, and he's devising ways to get them back. And he will. But you got to stand fast. you got to be doing the right thing. Now, I always stand on the Scriptures. Seek first the kingdom of God and His righteousness, and all these things will be added unto you. Now, the Scripture's referring to the things of this world or the things that I want, or even answered prayer. But if I'm living for God, if I'm tithing, going to church, really seeking God, loving God, putting God first in my life, and I'm doing the things that God wants me to do, He hears my prayers and He answers them. But if I'm not doing that... And if I'm living like the devil, or I'm living a compromised life, you can't always be guaranteed. And I'm not saying you have to do it perfect, because I don't do it perfect. I don't know anybody that does it perfect. But I know my heart's after God. And I know that I'm about, I want to win souls. I want to help the needy. I want to love God. I want to do what God's called me to do. And that's how I want to live my life. And if I'm doing that, God takes care of mine. I had two, a few kids that were prodigals. And you know what? It was a heartbreaking time. And if you're here and you have one, or you have a spouse, or you have you know, anybody that you care about, and you know they're out there, and you know that what they're doing could kill them. And I'm telling you, I know of numerous people that are children of people in this church that have kids out there that those kids could die if they keep going without God's intervention. This isn't a joke. The devil wants to kill your kids. That's his goal. Suicide is at an epidemic rate. And I'm not saying this to put fear in you. I'm saying this. You've got to have godly indignation and say, I've had enough. And it's not, I, I, if I have to let go of this and let go of that and start doing spiritual warfare and doing what I'm supposed to do and believe God and stand on his word, if that's what's going to save the life of my kids, then I'm going to do it. How desperate are you to save your kids? Even our school system and the things that they're bringing out in the school system are out to, to mess their heads up. It's ridiculous. And I won't go there, but you know what I'm talking about. There's lots of scriptures that we can stand on, but we need to be making declarations. I'll tell you, I have a list of people, because I know people, that have called us and, you know, they're crying out for, for the lives of their children, And I know there's people in this room, like, you know, my prodigal's children are serving God now. They're serving God. They're on fire for God now. I've got a few grandchildren now that, you know, it's hard when kids are second and third generations. Some of those kids need to find out for themselves. And I have to trust and stand in the scripture that says, train them up in the way that they should go, and when they are old, they will not depart from it. It's better that they don't depart at all, but if they do, I trust God that the word planted in their hearts and what they've been taught, what they know, the spirit of God will get them back. Sometimes they just got to find out for themselves, but we have to not allow fear to control us. We have to be in faith. We have to be determined. We have to be speaking the word and thanking God on a regular basis for them to come back. And I believe they will because God's promises are yes and amen. His promises are true. His promises, his word will not come void and empty, but they will accomplish what they're set out to do. And I need to be firm and and standing on those promises there's one lady whose daughter, our couple whose daughter was a, a, a Bible school graduate and she was a drug addict and we have been doing spiritual warfare for her for the last six to eight months because she was in a life-threatening situation. And I just got a text that she's now detoxed. And she's looking for, a re, you know, for help. But it's a tough battle. And the people that are fighting that battle need encouragement They need people to stand with them, especially if their children's lives are in danger. There's so many things out there to try and take our children away. Or it could be your spouse. It could be just somebody you love. And you know what, when they go that way, the wrong way, it leads to death without God's intervention. But you know what? You're the ones that can bring that about. Somebody's got to fight for them. Somebody's got to believe for them. Somebody's got to speak for them. And you've got to conquer your own fear. Sometimes when I'm believing for uh, kids that are out there, I'm praying more for the parents. Because what they do, and I'm going to tell you something. This is really important. When you're believing for that prodigal, you've got to guard your own heart. Because if you get into unforgiveness, bitterness, start blaming other people. See, sometimes couples will blame each other. Well, it's your fault. You did this. If you had have done that, this wouldn't happen. And they go on and on. And they're all about blaming. You know what? Forget all that. That's the devil's strategy to get you out of peace. Because if you're out of peace, then you have no power. So you have to guard your heart. You have to make sure that you're walking in forgiveness, that you're walking in love, that you're not blaming, that you're not trying to figure it out. It doesn't matter how it happened. I mean, obviously, if there's something that you need to ask forgiveness for, and make right, that part matters. But other than that, you can't change what's been done. So let's just get with God and do what's right and believe God for those young ones. Tonight, we are having prayer. And we are going to do a night of believing God for the prodigals. We're going to get names written on paper. And we're going to do spiritual warfare for the prodigals that we know. And believe God. And if you can come and join us tonight, that would be awesome. Because we need to say enough is enough. We can only fight it in the spirit realm. And we have to show love to those kids and know that there's hope for them. And let them know that when they're ready, when they do what's right, we're there for them. But if you've been spoiling them, if you've been enabling them, if you've been in fear, if you've hurt them in some way because of hypocrisy in your life or things you've said and done, you need to, you need to make those things right. And then God can move. Get out of the way. And God can move. Amen? Let's all stand up. Uh, if you're here and you've had a prodigal come back to the Lord, in other words, they were lost and now they're found, now they're doing well, and and you have had one, I want you to come up here. Some, people that have already had prodigals that have come back to the Lord, come on up here. There's got to be more than that in this place. Maybe not every. Has nobody had prodigals? Then there's a lot of people that need prayer. <laughs> Uh, if you've had a prodigal that's come back to the Lord, come on down. In other words, somebody you prayed for. It doesn't have to be your own child. It could have been a husband or wife. It could have been a, you know, a nephew, a niece, a, you know, a friend, a parent, somebody that was away from God. And you stood in faith and believed God for them, and they are now walking with God. They're now tracking with God. If that's you, come on down. Okay. What I wanted to do, or what I'd like to do, if you can come tonight, we can pray for people tonight, but if you can't, we're going to have these people pray for you if you have a prodigal. If you have a prodigal that you want prayer for, and you've been struggling because of it, then I want you to come down and get prayer right after we do communion.
1: The Bible says, Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, and thou shalt be saved. But he didn't say just, Thou shalt be saved and thy household. Come on. That's right. I'll say it again. And thy household. It says, believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and you'll be saved, you and your household. And then they spoke the word of the Lord to him and to all who were in this house. And he took them the same hour of the night and washed their stripes. And immediately he and his family were baptized. Now when he had brought them into his house, he set them on food before them. And he rejoiced having believed in God with all of his household. Say, if he did it for the jailer, he can do it for you. Amen. Cornelius, it says in Acts 11, and he told us that he had seen an angel standing in his house who said to him, send men to Jop and call for Simon, whose surname is Peter, who will tell you words by which you and all your household will be saved. And as I began to speak, the Holy Spirit fell upon them as upon us at the beginning. And then I remembered the word of the Lord. He said, John indeed baptized with water, but you shall be baptized with the Holy Spirit. Cornelius, he brought all his wife, He brought all his children. He brought his nieces. He brought his nephews. He brought his aunts, his uncles. They all came in together. And guess what happened? They all got saved. The Bible teaches you this all the way through. This isn't just me. Joshua spared Rahab the harlot. And it said her father's household and all that she had. So she dwelt in Israel to this day because she had hid the messengers whom Joshua sent to spy out Jericho. She recognized that her life wasn't going to save Her but she recognized that the God of her salvation could. She put the scar, the thread in there. And all the household came in. And guess what? They were all saved. They were all preserved. They were all protected. If you believe this gospel is just for you, you're missing the whole purpose. But it's for to all of us here. It's for all of us that are in this room. It's for our children. It's for our grandchildren. I remember somebody came to me years ago and they said, you know, you ought to be very happy. And you ought to be very thankful that, you know, five out of six of your kids, kids right now are tracking with God. I said, sir, I want you to know that I am very thankful for the five out of six, but I'm also thankful that God didn't promise me five out of six. He promised me six out of six. And today we got what it was that we asked. Can you say amen? We're not going to settle for less than what God has. We're going to tell the grip of hell to get off these kids and put the grip of heaven on them. We're going to pray aggressively tonight that circumstances would arise with inside their life. And when those circumstances start happening, don't get mad at God. Come on now. What circumstances would arise with inside of their lives that would cause them to bow their knee to the Lordship of Jesus. And I'm going to tell you something. When you see this starting to happen inside your life, and you want to manipulate, you want to control, you want to stop those circumstances, you want to enable those circumstances, let me tell you something. You just get out of the way and just start letting God be in there. You start letting the hand of God work because when you operate out of fear, it never works because God never called us to operate out of fear, but he called us to operate out of faith. Amen.
0: You might be here too, and maybe you were the prodigal yourself that your parents or other people that cared about you believed for you to come back and you were with you're tracking with God at one time and then you went out there and now you came back you can come up here and pray for people as well so we want we want to just have people that know God uh, that right. have been out there but you are now right Thank with you God, God. Thank you, and um, you're serving God and anybody here today if you have somebody in your life that you need prayer for because they're out there and you're concerned for their well-being then I want you to come down and get prayer for these prodigal yeah tonight and God's and, yeah, calling yeah, maybe you. you are the prodigal and you just That's happen right. to come to church today
1: just sensing and this didn't come in the first but it came it's coming in this service right now that when you see these individuals, there's a, a holier-than-thou attitude. You just feel you're superior. You feel you're better. You're, you're not relating with them. You're not connecting with them because it really, that's not you. That's just their. And then you've even said these here words, they deserve what they get. They, 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 they got what they deserve. They got it. Thank God that none of us got what we deserved. Amen because if we got what we deserved, none of us would be here today. Amen? But everybody bow your head right now. We're not going to call you to the front. But if that's you, just lift up your hand right now and just say, yeah, you know what? I'm going to start seeing people the way you see them, Jesus. I'm going to start seeing those people. Thank you, sir. Is there any others that are here today? Thank you. Thank you. Father, as we partake of this cup today, we thank you that I'm not better than a one of them in this room or a one watching by live stream. But I thank you that because of the cross of Christ, we're all better than we used to be. And you put us on a path. You put us on a path of faith. And you've called us to live by faith. you called us to speak our faith. you call called us to decree your word. And as we do, we establish the kingdom of God here in the earth today. So, God, as we partake of this cup, release everything of hell And put the grip of heaven on our lives, on our homes, on our families, on our young people, on our senior people, on the singles in the church. Put the grip of heaven upon them that together we could run the course and finish well and bring honor to you. Let us partake of the cup today. Thank you, Jesus.
0: Thank you, Jesus. Now, if you have a prodigal that you Mm -hmm. want prayed, you want to have prayer for that, come on down now. And all you guys can turn around, all of you that are going to pray that are either a prodigal that's been restored or you believe God for somebody and they've been restored. And so if you want prayer for the prodigal in your life, come on down and these people and any other leaders that are here, if you want to come down as well and pray for, for um, our people that come on up. We're going to focus in on prodigals today. We're going to believe our prodigals are coming home.